Yeah, you look all right. Do I? Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's it's nice. the first compliment I've had in a long you, time. You're dead sexy, Ryan. Oh, thanks, Steve. Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Welcome to AT Banter. I am not Rob Minolt. I am Steve Barkley. Rob is off on vacation. And I am joined today with that guy over there, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Yay. Yay. And our special guest star joining us today is Mike Lonergan. Mike Lonergan from BC Blind Sports. Glad he got his last name right because I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's common. <laughs> That's good to have you here, Mike. Thanks for coming. No problem. My pleasure. Let me see. What are we talking about well, today? Let's talk about who Mike is and what Mike does. Okay, Mike, who are you? What do you do? Tell us what you do. What I do. I'm uh, Mike Lonergan. I am the program director for BC Blind Sports and Recreation Association, and I do a little bit of everything. We, uh, we're a nonprofit sports organization. Uh, we do a lot with uh, a whole variety of sports and activities, uh, some of it at the high performance level, right down to the developmental stages of kids who are low vision or blind and getting them involved in sports, working right on up through the age groups to people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who are taking part in some kind of physical activity, and we're trying to help them take part in a meaningful way. So how do, uh, how do people typically get referred to you? We get them in a lot of different ways. Part of my job is to go out into the school system and liaise with the uh, teachers of the visually impaired. They're a big partner with us. So once someone's in, a school, in the school system, we uh, we're made, we make contact with them and their teachers, and what we try and do is help make sure those kids have a chance to take part in physical activity, help develop their physical literacy. So that contacts through the school system, and that's, you know, everybody's in school, and in the system in BC, they're all in the public school system for the most part. There's not a particularly blind, a school for the blind, as there was many years ago. So they could be anywhere in the province, in any mixed in any class, in an inclusion model. So... A lot of the teachers have never had experience with someone who's blind, let alone experience with someone who's blind or low vision taking part in PE, for instance. So one of the jobs we I have is to go out and help modify programs, introduce sports, uh, introduce modified equipment or adapted equipment so those kids have a chance to take part in sport and activity. Maybe it's not even competition, just take part in act physical activity in a way that helps them, makes them have a they have a positive experience at it, and so they actually want to go on in the future and do things. It's a bit of a selfish thing. We want them for our teams as they get older. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's the more physical literacy you develop when you're younger, the better. I mean, every kid learns to throw a ball, go for a run. Kids who are blind to low vision, that could be an issue. It takes a little bit longer, a lot more work. So we're trying to make shorten that path for them. So when they come to us when they're in their 20 or 30 and they want to take part in a sport, they already have the skills and some of the physical literacy to take part in a sport in a way that's fun and that's not discouraging for them. So that's how we meet a lot of our clients and the people we work with. We, of course, get other people who are referred to us through uh, the CNIB or any of the other blind organizations out there. Uh, sometimes it's 
this through someone seeing something in the paper about one of our athletes. So lots of different ways to get people referred to us, uh, but we'll take them, we'll take them through any door they come. Quite happy to do that. When you talk about modifying a, a program for a, a, a gym class, what what sort of modifications would you do? It, the thing is, it really depends on the vision that the child has. If a teacher has, is lucky and gets a blind student, someone who's born with no vision, they've been blind since birth, a congenital blindness, they're much different than someone who's uh, lost their vision through illness or an accident. And what that child knew and had already experienced really impacts what they do in, in PE. So in a class, it might be teaching, showing what kind of equipment that ch a child might see something. Maybe they see co certain colors better. Maybe the background in the gym is such that the ball can't be seen. Uh, maybe we just change the color of the ball. So sometimes the modifications are just specific to that individual. That's that's the difference from a lot of uh, uh, disabilities. Our, our modifications are really individual, and sometimes we really have to work at finding what works for that student or that child. Sometimes it's introducing games that are easier for them to play, and also something that they can include their, their fellow classmates in. There, there are things we can do to make sure everyone's kind of involved, modifying their rules a little bit. Maybe it's just adding sound to a ball, and that maybe is enough for that child to take part in a mean, sort of a meaningful way. Even if you add sound to a dodgeball, it's still going to suck. <laughs> well, that's, you, know, I mean, you, make, you play goalball. I mean, you know, people are getting, things happen, of course. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's okay to get bumped and knocked down because sure. that's going to happen to everybody. Uh, we just want to make, we do want to make sure it's safe and that mm -hmm. they're, they're not discouraging that they want to come out and do it again. Sometimes it takes a lot of tries to get someone who's low vision or blind. It takes a lot of tries to give them enough information or for them to absorb enough information mm -hmm. that they can go out and do it and have fun. I can go watch a golf game and decide pretty quickly whether I want to play or not. <laughs> if you have no vision, it takes a lot of pieces. There's, mm -hmm. you, there's a lot of learning to do, and so you have to be patient and really introduce all the facets of that activity. And then you can maybe then the, the person can make that decision whether they actually like it or not. Not everybody likes everything. That's that's pretty normal. So right. we just want to make it positive for them that they at least have a chance to try it. And in the future, maybe they'll come back to it. Things like hockey and skating, right? Making sure that the skating thing, the mm -hmm. skating experience is positive. So when they're older, maybe they will play hockey with their friends. Right. So you talked about um, competitive sports. Uh, what sort of competitive sports are out there for uh, blind and visually impaired uh, people who want to get involved in a more structured sports program? There are a lot of, I mean, almost every sport out there can have an adapt adaptation that'll suit someone who's blind or low vision. There's a basic like track and field, of course, swimming, uh, cycling. We have cycling, we adapt cycling with a tandem bike, right? So there's two people in the bike uh, and there's competitions at every level for them. Uh, other sports like lawn bowling for the older crowd, we have adaptations that make it that a meaningful comp, uh, opportunity for them. We even have a national championships in a couple of weeks uh, being held here in Ladner. So there's competition for those people out there in almost every sport. Some sports are difficult, of course, like basketball, badminton, tennis. The, the adaptations there are pretty severe. And so sometimes it's a little harder to get them involved in something. Uh, things like dragon boating, uh, that's a big sport. We have five different teams around the province who are taking part in competitions. And really, it's as they're getting in a boat with a few sighted paddlers and going, taking part in a competition just like the rest of the world. So sometimes adaptations are just providing an opportunity 
that they know is safe for them to, to take part in. And part of that's getting people to a competition. Most of our clients and athletes don't drive. So it's really, you know, making sure that it's an accessible place for them to take part. I remember dragon boating against a uh, blind dragon boating team. Yep. They kicked our ass. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there, I mean, we, we have dragon boaters on regular teams too. So, I mean, it's, they can go out on a regular team of their friends, uh, all sighted, but they still have the skills that, you know, we can adapt things. So they have the skills to take part, but it's really, it's nice to have a group of people who have similar disabilities in this case, because in the end of it, sport and activities is, a. It should be fun and it should be with your friends and having a peer group take part in an activity like that. That's kind of fun, right? You do all those regular things. Absolutely. So do you guys do fundraising then to make the modifications to your different sports paraphernalia, balls, yeah, we, we do have fundraising. I mean, fundraising, we, we're lucky in BC. We have pretty good support from the government for our sport, our, our competitive sports side because we're a, a provincial sport organization under the umbrella of via sport they uh we get some funding to help support our athletes who are taking part in things like the paralympics or provincial championships national championships uh different competitions uh, that there's one support stream from that and we do have uh some good support from uh gaming uh through our longtime association with it. Uh, we get a lot of support for that. Really helps support that uh, recreational aspect and helps people, you know, help support some of those sports that need a little bit of extra work in terms of equipment. Some of the adapted equipment is expensive. A tandem bike is not cheap. Uh, any bike's not cheap, but a tandem bike can be really expensive. So there are some things like that we can get funding. And we have regular uh, <clears throat> telemarketing type things that and donations and foundation support for a lot of our different uh, activities and uh, things that we're trying to do. So how many members make up BC Blind Sports? It varies uh, well into two or 300 uh, wow. pretty active members. Uh, we have a lot of supporting members. We have uh, not only athletes or what we classify as athletes, but they're the ones that uh, take part in activities, but we have supporting members. So that's someone who's helping like the, the other dragon boaters, the sighted dragon boaters, or the pilot on the bike and the tandem bike, they're supporting members. It might be the director for lawn bowling or the people helping curling. Uh, we have those the supporting membership as well. So there's a lot of people out there. I mean, for every single athlete, there's probably two supporting members. Right. So does each province have its own BC Blind Sports type association? There are uh, blind sports associations across the country. Almost every province has an active one. Some of them are much more active than others. BC is actually, we have five employees at the moment in BC, and there's probably not even five full-time employees in the rest of the country. So we're ahead of the, and always have been ahead of the curve in that sense, uh, which we have good funding, so that helps support the, our, our employees. The rest of the country is a bit different. Uh, every every province has their own system. Uh, Ontario has a couple of employees. The rest of the provinces are just part time for the most part. They don't all support the same number of sports we do. We're we're unique in that. Uh, we're pretty open to any sport. We've just added hockey in the last few years, ice hockey. So we're pretty open to adding other activities and supporting them. Anything that gets our members being physically active and taking part in sport or recreation is is a good thing for us right 
So it is a lot different across the country. Yeah. It, really, it really depends where you are. It'd be beautiful to have it the rest of the country. But <laughs> be a lot more, uh, a lot more competition. Well, there will be more competition. You know, we build our pool of athletes in some of the sports. Uh, there's big gaps in certain provinces uh, at the moment, uh, and some provinces obviously focus in different uh, focus in different activities. Saskatchewan, it's mostly curling and golf. Alberta has goalball and. Uh, tandem cycling and yoga and a few other things. In BC, we have athletes taking part in almost every sport. So it's it's a bit of a different focus for us. We do have to spread it out a bit. So some provinces focus all their activities in one or two sports, which is great for those one or two sports, but it does leave other sports kind of with a gap and not not having a real development system there. So you see athletes from BC dominating some, certain types of teams, and athletes from other provinces dominating other types of teams. It just, it seems to be the luck of the draw almost. So uh, what do BC athletes kick butt at? What's what's our number one sport? Right now, our number one sport probably is goalball. Uh, we have half the men's national team is based out of BC and one member of the women's team. And so the men, there's three out of the six are from BC and one out of the six is from, and the women's side is from, are from BC. So that's a, that's a good, that's 20, it's a 25% of the national team from BC. That's pretty good. And we have junior players that have played the national team as well. We have a junior national goalball team every couple of years that competes. So we've always supplied athletes to that. So are these the same athletes then who are heading down to Rio for the uh, Paralympics? Yeah. Uh, in fact, the team officially will be announced this coming weekend. Uh, and they'll be heading off to Rio to the Paralympics, which start in 17 days, it looks like. Uh, they're all three of the men have been on the, they, they all participated in London at the Paralympics and one of them actually was in uh, Beijing eight years ago as well. So they've got some good experience. They're a big part of the team. Uh, at some tournaments, you'll see all three BC players starting. So we do have a, a, a big uh, part of that in the national program. And the women's athlete has also been at the Paralympics before. So this is the second time around for her. We do have a, a track athlete going from Salt Spring Island in the shot put. Uh, we used to have, a, we did have a track athlete, and, but he didn't qualify this year. It's getting a little tougher and the standards have gone up and there's only so many spots, unfortunately, for uh, blind athletes to get on the national team. So he's not going. There's one swimmer going as well from BC in a, one of the blind visually impaired swimmers. So we have a pretty good representation going to Rio. Seems to be, that's kind of about the average over the last 12, 16 years. Now, there's been some some um, controversy around this year's uh, Paralympics. Uh, one, the uh, doping scandal in Russia, uh, and the uh, for some reason the Paralympic athletes were excluded rather than the main Russian athletes, which I thought was a bizarre choice for the Olympic Committee to make. Um, are, it, are you allowed to comment on that? I, I, you're going down? Sure, I, it was bizarre. It's actually, I mean, because in most countries the Paralympic Committee and the Olympic Committee are separate. In Russia, they actually are too. So it, it, and then they have associate like the swim association is different from the track and field. So uh, it was an interesting. I came from a track and field background, so I know what the Russian able-bodied athletes were doing <laughs> and not doing, and it, they're not the only ones that were cheating. But it's it, it's a big step for the IPC to take. To, to ban the whole team, and that's still out. The, uh, there's a, a hearing today, actually, or tomorrow, the 23rd, and that may be overturned. 
And it has a direct impact on our goalball women, for instance, because the Russian women's team is in the, in the Paralympics and they would be actually someone we compete against. If they're not there, it might be, does someone sub in for them? So it's a bit of a mess, unfortunately. So it, every game's always has something to come up. Uh, I, it was interesting that able-bodied, the, I, the IOC, the track and field athletes were banned, but that was by their association. So uh, other sports let some of their the Russians in. I, I have a feeling that might happen in the IPC too as well. But it's a you know I, it's a really tough call. Yeah, it it just seemed like they were being scapegoated for something that probably didn't have much to do with them at all. Yeah, yeah I, 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 there hasn't been a lot of evidence of cheating in Paralympics, but there is. There is cheating for sure, and there's drugs and there's other stuff. So that that's I mean, we can't be blind to those or blind to that fact. But <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean to come out that way. But uh, it's true, and it happens, right? And so even recently, some powerlifters were banned a couple of days ago. A couple of powerlifters were banned. So some of those sports do have some, but they're not necessarily Russian, right? Mm -hmm. It's I, it's it's a bit of a, it's going to be interesting because it it's not going to help the Paralympic athletes in Russia who are clean, and there are I'm sure a lot of them are. Yeah, uh, do the Paralympic athletes go through the same drug testing that uh, the rest of the Olympians go through? Yep, absolutely. Our goalball team, in fact, was just tested at a training camp uh, two weeks ago. The they're Showing, they showed up at the door of the training center and said, uh, time to produce a sample. And so they were tested. Uh, they've come to their door recently, knocked on the door and said, we need a sample. And Canada has a really stringent testing uh, policy and procedure. Uh, I've seen it a number of times. We've done a few things to make sure that it's equitable for our athletes. If you can't read or see what's happening with your sample, you need to have somebody there to make sure that Right. If you can't see them pouring, you, know, you want to make sure someone's watching for you because there's a lot of things in drug testing and dope testing that they requires the athlete to, to okay that it was done properly. So there's some things with, with blind athletes we have to manipulate around and make sure it's equitable and, and fair to them. But we definitely have testing. All the athletes who go into uh, Rio have been tested multiple times. And, uh, and you know, it's there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of athletes are in medications that sometimes show up on, on drug testing and they need them for their health and they need them for their eye condition or whatever. So there, there's certain, if you have, there's forms for people like that. There's a, there's a procedure for them that they're still allowed to take those, but they have to get an exemption. So they're pretty stringent about it. And uh, so we feel pretty confident our athletes going are going to be okay. In all sports, not just goalball, but track and field, swimming, wheelchair basketball, you name it. They all have to face it. Dave mentioned goalball a couple times. Can you explain what goalball is? Goalball is uh, the one team sport. It's not an adapted sport. It's its own sport that was designed for blind and visually impaired athletes. Uh, 19 late 1940s after World War II, in Austria and Germany, there was a lot of injured soldiers. Vision was an issue, obviously through the injuries. So they wanted them to be active and supported and physically healthy it's it's important to be physically active uh so they invented the sport developed the sport it's had gone through a few adaptations it is a game that's played in a volleyball size court has a net at each end that's nine meters by nine uh nine meters long and a one and a half meters high it's played with a ball that has bells in it and it's thrown along the floor uh, because a ball with bells in it if you throw it in the air you don't hear it so we have to make sure the ball hits the floor a number of times. The athletes are blindfolded. They wear eye shades 
so that everybody's on an equal basis. So those with some vision, it would be an advantage to see the ball. So we blindfold all the athletes, including the ones who don't have any vision, and we know they don't because they don't have any eyes for different reasons. Everyone wears an eye shade, and uh, it puts it on a, on a level playing field, hopefully. So they throw the ball, and they're trying to get the ball past the other team into the net. It's played three on three. So three players on each team throwing the ball back and forth. Uh, the ball weighs one and a half kilograms, made of rubber. It still hurts if it hits you. <laughs> they throw it at up to 70 kilometers an hour, the men. Wow. And the women throw about 50 kilometers an hour. So it's a very competitive sport around the world. It's one It's one sport that uh, it can be played almost anywhere because, you know, the equipment is fairly inexpensive and it's easy to set up. Um and it's a great activity for kids because it's a team sport. And it's an activity I can introduce into school system because they put on eye shades. And so their classmates can play and learn what it's like to play blindfolded. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 the one sport. Uh, Canada's qualified both teams for the Paralympics. And we have every time. Our women have won it a number of times. Uh, they won in Athens and they won in in uh to melbourne or sydney uh, in beijing uh, not in beijing so our, our women or men both are all highly ranked in the world and we're competitive and here we should probably give a shout out to pastoroga employees uh vivian foray and carrie anton absolutely yes Woo-hoo. yeah they they all both played and they both went to the paralympics i believe yeah both and, came home with gold yep so it's it's a it's a country a game is played across the country there are pl- places that are stronger like BC and Alberta right now and Ontario is fairly strong on the women's side and then Nova Scotia actually is quite strong in the men's side they're really strong they won the last last two national championships unfortunately beating BC <laughs> <laughs> but we won the three before that so so yeah it's it's a it's a great sport and activity for people to play and uh, we do have groups playing uh, they practice well right now they're practicing three times a week as they prep for the Paralympics but in the winter, they play once or twice a week. We have three-hour sessions with training, and we have kids playing, adults playing. It's a it's a great activity at all levels. Some play for fun, some play to be competitive. It's pretty much the opposite of dodgeball, right? You've got this weighted ball that's being <laughs> flung at high speed. Only this time, you're trying to get in front of it. Yeah, you're actually trying to stop the ball. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I always tell them not to. St- they could stop it any way they want. I just don't recommend the face. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and I, in 16 years, I've only seen it happen once or twice, so it's pretty good. No one, no, none of the students I've ever taught it have ever been hurt. The odd teacher's taken a couple of shots. <laughs> That's probably by design. Yeah, I warned them. Maybe you shouldn't play this, but it, it, it's, a, it's a lot of fun, you know. And there's skill and there's strategy and all. It's got. It's like every sport. There's all kinds of pieces to it that you can develop. It's you can run whole lesson. There, we have lesson plans online, in fact, for teachers to structure whole sets of lesson plans around it. I've seen schools run intramural programs on it, so. Mm. It's it's kind of cool for the kids. Someone who's low vision or blind, it's it's one of those things that they can bring to their class. Mm-hmm. It's kind of neat. Cool. So so if you're looking for these resources, where do you find them? Well, the, we have uh, our website is of course under review again. Uh, Canadian Blind Sports has the lesson plans. They're for, they're free. You can you can download them for free. Uh, BC Blind Sports website does have information. Uh, it's we're unfortunately not the best in the world at updating it, but we're working at it. Uh, and there's lots of uh, contact information that's available through our office. Where 
if someone's interested in a sport or an activity, maybe, you know, they live in a, a community that they want to try weightlifting or go into a yoga class, there are some things we can help them do. We can help. We're not going to run necessarily our own yoga class, although that has been tried. Uh, we might go and help the teacher adapt their program for that individual. It's a lot easier for us to go out to the people. It, you know, this the, our population is spread out, and the chances of having enough people to run it, for instance, a, a swim program specifically for blind, we're just not going to get them enough in one area to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's better to be in a regular club anyhow. It's good to see, you know, kids can go out swim with their regular classmates. That's that's one of the things that you, with some adaptations, you can take part with your friends. And that I think that's important. We do have other, I mean, golfers, things like that. They take, they go in regular clubs, lawn bowlers. They all belong to their hometown club and take part in competitions there, as well as our competitions. Yeah, we had a uh, Aroga best ball uh, golf tournament once a few years back, and uh, as I recall, I uh, lost to Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a, there's a world there's world championships for blind golf. In fact, uh, we've had Canadian championships twice in the last four years in BC. And one of them, I played the I, pl I did play the the sort of the exhibition round before the tournament, and I managed to lose to a totally blind Israeli golfer by 27 shots wow yeah he was pretty good i mean there's that's there's lots of different sports there and golf is certainly one it, it's definitely you need someone with you to help Ooh. find the ball but sighted players need the same thing so not much different yeah in fact there's a world championship next year in uh cranbrook no sorry creston we're gonna have a blind world blind golf championship in creston so thanks yeah it's kind of fun so do you guys have a calendar online of different sports and where they're being held? There is. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to keep it updated. Uh, things change quickly. <laughs> um, but certainly by, just by calling the office, we can let, let you know mm. if there's something coming up. I, I can tell you in three weeks, the golf championship mm -hmm. or the sort of lawn bowling national championships is being held in Latner. We just had a provincial championships last week in Nanaimo. Uh, there's goalball. Uh, training camps and we we haven't got a tournament this fall but we will have one in march and we're hosting the nationals next year again it's been a few years so we'll have a national senior championships in uh new westminster i believe uh, hockey is really growing and we do run a partnership with uh hockey canada blind hockey canada where we uh help put on events as well and they do have a, a tournament this fall in november 18th weekend in langley the langley event center it's gonna be a western canada blind hockey tournament uh, you know, i think you'll see carrie anton out there yeah i heard she was coming actually she's coming this weekend a bunch of people i yeah. know are going to be there yeah we're having something this weekend as well yeah. yeah so yeah there's a whole western canada hockey so there are you know people of course welcome to come out and see what's going on and find out if they're interested in taking part at some level whatever level they choose so let's talk a little bit about uh courage canada Blind, Blind Hockey Canada. Blind Hockey Canada. Yeah. Well, uh, Courage Canada was was a group that started a number of years ago and by a, an athlete in Ontario, Mark DeMontis, uh, who was, had lost vision in his early, late teens. He lost lots of vision and he needed to, uh, he loved hockey, wanted to keep playing hockey. He did a skate program across the country, a roller skate program where he skated across the country to raise awareness. And then uh, when he landed in BC, we kind of got hooked into him and... Uh, we started doing learn to skate programs. BC had the first program. Uh, 
taking school kids and taking them out the ice to get them involved. I mean, just learning to skate. So eventually you can play hockey, right? It's a big part of hockey is being able to skate. Uh, so Courage Canada did that for a number of years. And then recently, and developed the interest in hockey. It started to get pretty good. And they hosted a couple of national tournaments in Ontario, where there was, well, this year there was 80 players from across the country and from across the United States as well, having playing hockey for three days in Maple Leaf, the old Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, so hockey is becoming very popular. So this year they formed a Blind Hockey Canada, where they are now responsible. So they've moved away from Courage Canada and set up their own association so they can work with Hockey Canada itself and become the governing body for blind hockey. Right. So now they have, they host tournaments. They hosted an Eastern Canada tournament a number of weeks ago in Ottawa. We're going to host a what? They're going to host a Western Hockey Championship in the fall here, November in Langley, and then in uh, March there'll be a national scene tournament again in uh, Toronto, where this year they I think they're really expecting about a hundred players, and they've in fact it's gotten so popular that they've got two divisions. One is a competitive division because there's some pretty good hockey players out there, and it's really not fair to have them competing at some of those people are still learning or vision is a bit different so we have two two levels of hockey tournaments uh, a recreation component and a competitive component so there's enough players to really make it go now uh, it's if you watch it on youtube or online it's phenomenal the skill levels that these athletes have developed some of them and you know we've got all sorts of levels of vision out there uh, right from the goalies who have to be totally blind so they're a B1, which is a category we use in sports. Uh, the goalies are totally blind, and then the uh, other players, uh, as they move up, defensemen are low vision, and the uh, higher vision athletes usually the forwards. We do have a special puck that's uh, been around for a couple of years now. It's a bit, it's bigger than a regular rubber puck, but it has a uh, steel bell, steel marbles in it, so you can. It's made of metal, so you can hear it quite well. In fact. It's so big, it's not going to fly through the air as much as well. Uh, it's a little bit heavy, so you don't want to take a slap shot because <laughs> it's going to cost you 100 bucks for a new stick. So they, that tends to slow them down a little bit. But it's uh, you know there's a few adapted rules. The net's a little shorter. It's a foot shorter, so that makes it, because if the puck's in the air, the goalie's not going to hear it as much. So to make it fair, they made the, the net a little shorter. And you do have to pass the puck once, once you go past the, the blue line, just to give the goalie an opportunity to hear the puck, find out exactly where it might be. So there's no center line breakaways? Not <laughs> too many, no. no. Not they don't get called back. So, yeah, it, it, it increases the passing. Makes It definitely makes it a, a part of the game. It, and, you know, so there's special rules. I mean, that's really the only special rules. There's no body checking intentionally. There's been the occasional collision, but, you know, you're wearing pads, right? You're wearing hockey pads. It should be good. Oh, it still hurts. It still hurts. <laughs> oh, you know what? And, and I tell kids, like, a rubber puck hurts when it hits you, right? Absolutely. So this metal puck can hurt, yeah. but as long as you're padded, it should be okay. <laughs> it's not going as hard fast as rubber pucks. No. And the goalies have the full face shields and stuff, so it's it's mm -hmm. safe. It's it, I, There's been the – yeah, there's going to be injuries. Oh, for but sure. that's – it's sport. Yeah, it's sport. It, not, not devastating injuries. Yeah, I understand the boards are real hard. 
They are. Okay. They really are. Even if you're wearing a helmet, they come up on you real fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a pads of war. <laughs> and you hope your teammates will warn you a little bit. Yeah. Well, if they're watching. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that, too. I mean, and that's one of the sports, you know, we, we do need excited volunteers. Like, a lot of sports really do rely on the a sighted volunteer. And mm-hmm. that can be a spouse. It can be a sibling. It can be your neighbor. Can, you know, the guy down the street, whatever. It's long. It sometimes. It, I mean, it's helpful to have someone there, a to get you there. Mm-hmm. But some activities do need sighted support. So that's, and that's you know, we do focus in helping them as well. I mean, they're a big part of our athletes' lives, so we make sure we can we actually target them before we target the athlete. Sometimes in terms of uh, financial support or you know logistical support as well. And that's how we run it. Right. So, how many athletes do we have going to the Paralympics? BC ha- BC has five athletes Just going five? that I know of, uh, unless someone snuck in. Uh, uh, we had a couple more that were just on the edge. Two more, th- another thrower, uh, just missed making it, and uh, she'd actually been to Paralympics before, but she came out of retirement to try and make it. Liliana, but didn't quite make it this time, but almost did. So that, that was pretty impressive. And we have a four hundred meter runner who didn't quite make it this year as well. So it's just the standards have really gone up. I mean, the sports have changed over the last 25 years, for sure. Uh, people are getting more specialized. It used to be you could do one sport, one games, and another sport, another games. That's a little bit harder to do. It's just because the, the there's so many more people taking part around the world that the standards to even to get into the event are pretty hard. Mm-hmm. So it's a, that's just the nature of the growth of Paralympic sport, right? It's one of the... It's not handed to you. You definitely have to go and earn it. Do we know how many athletes from Canada are going to Rio? Uh, in blind, there are five, one, two, three, three track athletes going. In swimming, there are two, I believe. And in goalball, we have 12. And that's the, there's one, uh, two judo athletes going and uh, tandem cycling t- Two tandem cycling teams are going as well, so we got a fair, a pretty good sized chunk of the team going. Uh, the judo girl's pretty new. She, one of the girls, she's quite new and she's doing really well. So there's going to be some lots of activities for us to watch. Uh, and if you do want to watch the uh, Paralympics, are they being streamed again this year? We think so. Yeah, uh, but obviously the Rio is going through some <laughs> financial issues right now. And we right. do know that goalball wasn't being televised at all, but it, they're hoping there'll be some kind of streaming. It was in London. Certain countries could do it. Canada hasn't committed the funds to do it. So I don't know if it's going to be, it's going to be the popular sports like wheelchair basketball and wheelchair rugby will be more chance. You're going to see them than some of our sports. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. track and field is usually pretty good. But uh, we do have a couple of athletes who are quite highly ranked. So, and they've won medals before. They've won medals at World Championships. So, you know, Jason Dunkerley's back for must be about his fifth games, and he he won medals last time, and he's certainly ranked again this year. So we're gonna have uh, there'll be people to watch. It's it, unfortunately it's gonna be a little bit of dial hunting, trying to you know trying to find that that elusive. Uh, um, I think I don't know if AMI is going to try and do something. I'm not sure, but it's it's not getting supported as much as it was in London. I think that's the reality of it being in Brazil. 
Well, even watching the regular Olympics that just ended, you know, CBC's coverage this year was awful comparative to years before. Yeah. So I don't know what changed. But well, it was funny because they actually had way more channels, but it, trying to find what was on at what time was just, it really was spinning the dial, mm-hmm. keep looking for, uh, you know, hopefully something showed up. I just didn't find it very, they didn't communicate what was on, you know, it changed. And mm-hmm. you really did have to go hunting the stuff. I mean, there I, there was lots of stuff, and it was just it was yeah, so yeah. hard to find it. Yeah. You know, it would be nice if it's more of it was televised, but I really, I mean, I think you'll see more in Tokyo than here, than Brazil, just the reality of it. Yeah, you alluded to the uh, uh, funding shortfall uh, for this Paralympics. What's what's the story behind that? Because I, I, aside from the fact that there is one, um, I don't know what's, what's caused it or... Well, uh, part of the deal with the IPC going into the same city as the IOC... So the following, like three weeks later, is that the facilities are there and everything's set up. So the countries hosting it have to really buy into it. And with the financial issues in Brazil, it sounded like from the last few statements from the IPC, uh, International Paralympic Committee head, uh, Sir Craven, they uh, they were $60 million short, which is a lot of money. So. That's an awful lot of money. I'm not sure if we should be telling them to take jars of peanut butter with them. <laughs> the athletes, but I, I, you know, it's just it's it's reality. I, in the end, it'd probably be fine, but it's not going to look. London was an amazing experience. The support the English gave to the Paralympics was unprecedented uh, in terms of spectator support, uh, people coming out and watching all the events. Every event was full. And their tickets were prices were cheaper than the Olympics for sure, but they still filled those buildings. There were sixty thousand people watching twelve hours of track and field every day. Wow! And that's you know swimming pool was full. Our goal ball arena, we you know goal balls used to twenty five people watching. There was four to five thousand every day watching the games. So I don't know. I judging by what I saw in real. Even the able body, the Olympics, there was the stands were empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were lots of no seats. Yeah. yeah, really empty. And I, I don't know what's going to happen down here. Right. I feel for the athletes, and it's a big event for them, and they're they're not they're just still going to perform. But mm-hmm. it's an opportunity for people to see that level of competition for someone for a para athlete. So we hope it'll be okay. Uh, you know, it's gonna, we're going to see. London set a very high standard. Yeah. yeah. And then Vancouver did as well with 2010. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the Winter Paralympics were so well done here that uh, they're hard hard things to follow. I think Tokyo will do a good job. That's not for four years. So. <laughs> yeah. Got to get through this one first. Got to get through this one first. I, I mean, I'm, it's going to be it's going to be an amazing event. I mean, I, the athletes are going to go and they're going to get their best opportunity to compete and that's you know that's a special time for them to, to to do that i mean it's like any anyone anytime you get to travel with your friends and do go into competition and go to a new country and i know goal ball has been very important for us but it's very important in brazil they won the nat last paralympics so they've spent a lot of money and a lot of time developing their team they're going to be one of the top teams there both men and women so and do the athletes, do they raise their own funds to get down to Rio and do all their training? Or is that covered by they, the sports? They get, they, it's covered by Canadian Paralympic Committee, their flight there, and their tr- a bit of a training camp before we go. So everything down there is covered. Uh, the only thing we have to pay for as a sport, so Canadian blind sports, for instance, is their uh, 
their uniform. We have to buy our own competition uniform. They do get all the team stuff for real from Canadian Paralympic Committee. Right. But all the training during the winter and last year and the travel and the qualifying was supported. Their athletes actually spent a lot of their own money doing that. Wow. It's just uh, the reality of sport is that you do have, you know, our competitions. Our team went to Lithuania this year. They've been to Sweden. They, there hasn't been enough competitions in North America. But even North America is expensive to get to. Mm-hmm. Our nationals were in Quebec City, and it was cost $1,500 to send some of the athletes from BC right. per person. That's a lot of a lot of money to... It's expensive. I mean, that, and that's the same for everybody in every sport. Mm-hmm. So it's not, oh, it's not, you know, that's just the reality of it. And I guess they could go out and look for sponsorship as well from yeah, different companies. They do. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. it'd be ideal. But mm-hmm. companies want exposure. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a, you're caught in the middle, right? You yeah. get exposure. At, there is some support, but it's, uh, it's sporadic, unfortunately. Right. But, uh, you know, they, they keep trying. So we're, hopefully they'll get some good publicity from those games and. They do it well enough that we get some support. So there is support internet from national level, but it's right. not near it enough, of course. Yeah. So we need to blind Sidney Crosby and get him playing blind hockey. We do need the blind. We need, we need him a goal ball. We need the goal superstar. Well, we have right. a couple guys. Well, a couple guys can throw pretty hard, but you might need that superstar who can throw <laughs> 80K an hour instead of 70. Is there just one goalie in goal ball? Uh, goal ball is three on three, so everybody's a oh, goalie. Oh, so everybody's a goalie. Everybody's right. a goalie, yeah. Or hopefully they're a goalie. <laughs> and, you know, it's right. a game that changes. It's, now there's a lot of bouncing shots. It used to be straight shots. Hmm. Lots of different things that happen. Yeah. You know, curve shots, you know. It's like any sport you can adapt. You mm-hmm. know, you, you have to modify depending on who you're playing, things like that. Right. What about winter activities? We, uh, I mean, goalball is actually a sport we play all winter. So we do have, we support people doing... Uh, cross-country skiing. A lot of the sort of the administration part of blind, any blind skiers is done through uh, disabled skiers, disabled ski association of BC. They're, they're ones that are responsible to the national bodies for skiing, but we do help. We take kids out snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, or help their class, help them go with their class or provide some things like uh, sighted guide training. That's one of the things that we do is, making sure that the uh, the guide for the person mm-hmm. like has some knowledge of what to do and how to guide somebody, whether it's in sport, which is one thing, but also just, you know, that off the field of play, like how do you, like what's the proper way to guide them through the village or get them to the training site? I mean, there's certain things you want done. So to make it safer for both. So we do, we do provide some training for that as well. I mean, I mean that's a big part of it for the winter sports and then hockey. Course. Right. So the winter would be like the curling, the skiing. Curling, yeah. Cur- curling, we don't administrate, but we do have curlers. <laughs> Who does the curling? Uh, BC Blind Curlers. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they have they have a group, four groups around the province. They have a Western Canadian Championship. They have a Canadian Championship that they take part in and, you know, they qualify through it. So there's, it kind of ebbs and flows like a lot of sports. Sometimes you get a lot of people interested and it changes and they try something different. So there's a lot of crossover between curling and lawn bowling. Mm-hmm. You'll get the same individuals doing both. So I know there's there are groups out there. So curling and curling, it's great to take the kids out and tr- let them try it. Because if you don't try it, you don't know if you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like anything. So who would I contact if I was interested in couch surfing? In couch surfing, 
You can talk to me because I've mastered that <laughs> in the last two weeks during the Olympics. <laughs> I, I can almost watch two TVs at once. But, but say you're some tubby blind person who's uh, sitting on the couch, uh, binge listening to podcasts and eating <laughs> Cheetos. Uh, how do they get in touch with you? Well, I think they need to come out and play hockey. Or tandem cycling is always good. Get out there and do some something physically active. He's looking at you, Ryan. <laughs> yes, they have they have my number. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember a bike going to Ryan's place. Yeah, that never got back. used. <laughs> never got used. Well, you know, it's it's never too late. That tandem cycling is something I do want to do. I just need to find a rider. Yeah, a pilot. And see, and, that, and that's that, with our sports, our activities. That that's the thing. It's having someone. In a lot of cases, like tandem cycling is having someone to pilot the bike. And that mm -hmm. means someone's committed, A, to carrying that bike. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the car's got to be big enough. But uh, it's having someone committed to spend that amount of time with you. And that's not that's not easy. Right. right. Yeah, and that's yeah, a lot of sports. Especially not him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Ouch. Zingers. Zingers. <laughs> and, Felt you know, that one. <laughs> and like, we do get people want to run, right? And they, it's finding no. the guide runner. It's, it, it takes a while. They have to yeah. be able to get along. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And the personalities, it's ideally would mesh, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those little extra added things that we need to take care of so do you have like if i was interested in tandem cycling do you have a list of people interested in being pilots we do get yeah. people calling all the time it's sometimes they're from victoria which doesn't help us <laughs> in vancouver that's right but there are you know and I, I can guarantee you this fall as soon as the paralympics over we're going to get some phone calls from people who will see it on tv mm -hmm. and going to want to do that which is great yeah. but it's you know it's it, it's making the match. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some sports do the same to us. They call us up and say they literally like to have a six foot two woman who's got really good physical skills to be part of their rowing boat, right? Or their you know their quad. Well, we just don't have a closet full of those people. <laughs> and so you know, it's 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 a it's a process, right? Yeah. And it's sometimes it's a long process, right? But uh, as long as we can expose especially the kids now to mm -hmm. more activities at some point in the future, they may want to try something. Yeah. It might not be this year. It might be not five years, but eventually they're going to want to do it. We hope. <laughs> and well, it's physically good. Yeah, it's good, right? It's, it's a good thing to be physically active. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I can't speak from somebody who's been born blind, but I would hope that the parents are pushing these kids to be active. Uh, just like our parents pushed us to go outside and play. Uh, you know, that's a, it, that's a good point. We, uh, we, with the CNIB, they host a, we do a three times or four times a year, sometimes a early intervention, uh, weekends where the parents are brought in to be with their child. Who's might be fairly young. Like could be or had just been I mean, within their first year of life, even up to four or five years old. They're brought in and exposed to a lot of different things. I mean, exposed to teachers who will tell them what to expect in the school system. And so we're fortunate that we're able to go in and talk about the physical part of it, the physical activity. Mm. We've got a DVD that we produced a number of years ago that uh, was with some support from the from the Olympic uh, uh, 2010 group uh, that ex explains to the parents and gives them some ideas on what to do with someone who's low, very low vision or losing their vision or didn't have vision, how to get them physically active as a, at, at a really young age, because it will pay off when they get to the school system. Right. We need, the more you need now, 
you need it more now than any time, right? So, and we, you know, there's some pretty good buy-in. I'd get a lot of phone calls from parents whose kids are now starting the school system. Can you come and help our class? Because they recognize the value mm-hmm. of of physical act- activity that's meaningful. I mean, it has to be meaningful. It can't be made up. It has to be meaningful. It has to be fun. It has to be safe, of course. But I really find the parents are actually pretty good now. They're they're really buying into it. Well, there's a whole a whole social aspect to sports as well. You know, it's not just the physical oh, act- I, I, activity, right? It's the whole social. Absolutely, it's one the, the it's the biggest payoff for me. Mm-hmm. Is someone doing something with their peers, whether it's kicking a ball around or climbing in the playground? Their peers need to know that they can do it, and they need to know that they can go do it with their peers. So, the more skills you build them when they're younger, the more successful, the safer. The more fun it'll be for them. Right. I mean, you always it's like any group of people. You're going to have some that are interested, some aren't. Mm-hmm. Some are good, some aren't. I mean, some people are good athletes, some aren't. It doesn't matter if they're blind, deaf, or what, whatever activity, you know, whatever it is. There's still that same spectrum of people. But we got to find out. We got to make sure they find out what they can and can't do. Yeah. I mean, not everyone who plays ho- hockey is a really good skater. They just like playing hockey, right? So they. You know, you got to give them some of those skills they can do it. Or running. I mean, running is no fun. No. If you can't. <laughs> That's no fun. Unless, unless, you, <laughs> unless you can do it efficiently, right? Like, why yeah. would you want to do it if, it if it hurts all the time? Ooh. So, the more you can teach someone who's young, the more fun it'll be because they'll be able to do it efficiently. So, that's that's a big part of our, our role at this moment. Right. It's really getting right from before they're in the school system, in fact. So, they can get out there and do something and enjoy it. And, you know, at some point, they come out for our teams. Already, we've got some skills. It'll be easier to teach them the skills needed for that sport. Right? Whether it's golfing or curling or lawn bowling or tandem biking. If you've got some of the skills developed when you're really young, it's going to pay off. Mm-hmm. Right? Simple things like throwing a ball are really difficult to teach to someone who can't see. So we have ways and things that we can do to help make sure that happens. Then it's a lot more fun. Right. Well, then, if that's it, how would people get in touch with you, Mike? Um, through BC Blind Sports. Uh, we have a regular number. Uh, are you guys have something you can print? Uh, yeah, we'll post we'll this in the, in the show notes. notes but yeah. okay. Why don't you say it now? Okay, it's uh, 604-325-8638. And you can ask for Mike or Susan. Uh, we're, the front, we're the ones, the programmers, so you're talking to us. Uh, website, uh, www.bcblindsports.com dot bc dot ca uh, and or you can email us uh at info at bc blind sports dot bc dot ca that's certainly one way of getting a hold of us for sure and we can get back to you and give you some information tell people what's going to happen when the events are come out and watch you know, sometimes it's fun for bring the kids out to watch because then they know that there's a, something that they're gonna be able to do in the future right it's given some of that's Making sure that families know that there is a potential for their student or their child to do something. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be left out. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's it's what's important. And if you're not in the uh, BC area, then, of course, you can always reach out to Google and Google blind sports in yeah. your area, and you will probably turn up all kinds of stuff in your own local area. Well, hopefully, if not, Canadian Blind Sports Office is actually in our office at the moment, so... <laughs> You could Google Canadian Blind Sports and you'll get one of our phone numbers anyhow. And uh, they can provide you information or put you in contact with somebody in your area for sure. Each Thanks. province does have an, a, a, someone out there. So it, 
more we can send to them, the better it is for them. So they'd be quite happy to hear from anybody Excellent. nationwide. So there's no reason to sit on that couch binge listening to atbanter.com. <laughs> you can get out and do something. All right. So Steve's going to be my pilot on my tandem bike. That's well, right. I was actually sort of thinking about that. While, while the weather's good, we should give it a oh, While the weather's good. <laughs> <laughs> so we got three weeks left. Exactly. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I might have a bike you could borrow. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I got a bike rack on the back of my car. <laughs> excellent. Well, we keep, we keep saying we're going to do the grind, too. Yeah, let's do the biking first. <laughs> Get some conditioning in. Yes, I need we, the conditioning for sure. Both uh, climb yeah, Grouse Mountain. You go ahead and do the grind. Let yeah. me know. I'll wait for the to- I'll wait at the top for you. Yeah, yeah have for, the cold beer ready. For yeah. those of you who don't know, the uh, Grouse Grind is a uh, infamous local trail up uh, up Grouse Mountain, which climbs I don't know thirteen hundred somewhat thirteen hundred feet. Yeah, yeah. in uh, two point some odd kilometers, and uh, I have one buddy who can do it in just uh, about an hour. Yeah. Uh, for me, it takes, you know, a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes me about a week to recover. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm not, I have no idea what I'm in for, but it is something I do want to well, do. You can do the Coquitlam Crunch, right? Oh, yeah. That's that's almost the same. That's a good, that'd be a good warm-up. Is it? Yeah. It's got yeah. stairs. <laughs> oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, there's stairs on that one, and it's a little bit wider trail, a little, yeah. little better marked. Yeah. Maybe we should try that one first. Yeah. A lot more people. But yeah. there's no uh, there's no gondola to take you down from that one. That's no, that's the oh, unfortunate that right? part. Yeah, so you've there's got no a, beer at the you've top? Got a, you've got to walk down, and I don't believe there's a pub at the top. <laughs> no, there's no Jeez. pub at the top. Yeah. Wow. I'll have so, to reconsider that one. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, our dragon boat teams are always looking for people. I mean, oh, the season's I kind of dragging to an end, dragging yeah. to an end right now, but uh, they definitely look for people. Take part. It's a great activity as well. And we, you know, we do have teams in Kelowna and Victoria, a couple in Vancouver, and one in Langley. So they're they're out there. One coming to a place near you, hopefully. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, then we'll wrap it up. How can people get in touch with us, Steve? I don't know, Ryan. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> I always got to tell us. I know, because you're the well, only one who gets it right consistently. All right. Well, if you want to reach out to us here at AT Banter, our website is AT Banter Podcast. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> our website address is www.atbanter.com. Steve, what's our email address? Our email is atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, and YouTube. That's it for now. So thank you for listening. Mike, thanks for being here. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Signing off, I remain not Rob Minot. <laughs> and I am still Steve. <laughs> wow, I've been drinking already. I am Ryan Flurry. And uh, I, I'll be Steve Barkley <laughs> in lieu of Ryan being Steve Barkley. Uh, that's all for now. Bye. I don't know why I was going to say I'm so Steve Barkley. <laughs> <laughs>